You know, last time uh, we got to where I was able to stand in front of you guys, I talked about worship and holiness and pursuing God and what we had to do to really pursue and, and, and to give God the true value that he should have in our lives. And we used um, the verse where Jesus tells the lawyer what the greatest commandment is. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, and with your whole mind. And I made reference to the second in that point, but I wanted to make sure that we dealt with the idea of putting God in his rightful place. Because if we don't put God in his rightful place, everything else is out of line. So because we looked at getting God in his rightful place and we strive to keep God in his rightful place, we could take the opportunity to get to the second one now and love your neighbor as yourself. So today what I want to look at is encouragement. Hmm. Who was reading my notes? All right, I just want to read this um, very quickly. First account of encouragement from Second Samuel in chapter 10. I'm sorry, God, I didn't have that one up for you. And it's 10-9, and I'm going to go to 11 and 12. And in this account, uh, it records a seemingly impossible impasse for the armies of David. David's commander, commanding general Joab, saw the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear. Then he and his brother Abishai vowed to support each other and to leave the results in the hands of God. Joab reinforced Abishai with these courageous words. Nine? Okay. And when Joab saw, well, let me do it. I don't know what version they've got this in, but... uh, Yeah, no, no, that's New King James. No, no, nine is good. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. Then in verse 10, we send the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Okay, so they were encouraging or he was encouraging each other. So if they're too much for me, I got your, or if they're too much for you, I got your back. If they're too much for me, get my back. Okay, one of the things that we need to look at is that encouragement, that encouragement comes from our love for others. If we don't love others, we won't want to encourage them. Why do we need encouragement? You know, we live in a world today where people are shouting gloom and doom from the rooftops. You know, I know we're not a big news watching <laughs> congregation, <laughs> but you don't have to turn the news on to see or to hear doom and gloom. 
even if you're listening to Christian stations nowadays, you hear your fair amount of gloom and doom and what, you know, what can go wrong or what has gone wrong and how, you know, these, these, this group is, is infringing upon our rights and this group is doing this and everything else. But the ultimate is that our God is in control no matter what goes on. Okay. And, you know, even as Christians, if we don't keep our eye on the ball, we can miss it. We can fall victim to being discouraged. We can fall victim to sounding like the world. You know, a lot of times I talk to people I know who are Christians and I'm like, wait a minute. No, okay, all right, all right, it's okay. All right, but glory to God. He gives us in Second Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Okay. No matter what's going on, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. So often what happens with people is they get caught up with worry. And we've heard the term that worry is corrupted meditation. Okay, Instead of meditating on the word of God, what God promises us, what God is going to do for us, how God is going to keep us, we take that thing that we think is the worst thing possible or something that's not great, and we roll it over and over and over and over and over in our minds. And before we know it, we're living in a whole nother sphere of, of being because we're living in the in worry. First Thessalonians four, thirteen and fourteen says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brother, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him, will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, we're not like everybody else who have no hope. That's what we see a lot of times in this world. We see those without hope. But as believers, we have hope. And when we see the word hope in the Bible, it's not like maybe this, maybe that. Hope is like a certainty in the Bible. Hope is what we're trusting in, is what we are expecting, is what is going to go on. Not, I'm not sure whether or not this is going to happen or not. So I just want to talk a little bit about encouragement. Now, according to Merriam-Webster, and I know there are a lot of other dictionaries, but I got Merriam-Webster, so (laughs) there you go. The definition of encourage is to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. Now, I have the Hebrew word for, her, for courage or encourage, and it's pronounced, and I'm even worse with Hebrew than I am with Greek, but it's <laughs> kazak. I think that's about as close as we're going to get. And it comes from a, primi- a primitive root. And the authorized version translates it 48 times as strong, 47 times as Repair, 37 is hold, 28 is strengthen, 14 is strengthen, strengthened is 28, 14 is strengthened, 13 is hardened, 10 is prevail, 9 is encourage, 9 times is take, 8 times is courage, 5 is caught, 5 is stronger, 5 is hold, and miscellaneous other ways 52 times. It means to strengthen, prevail, harden, to be strong, to become strong, be courageous, be firm, grow firm, 
be resolute, be sore. Okay. For an example of this, we've got Moses in a yo people moment. (laughs) All right. Everybody that knows me knows what a yo people moment is. Moses is walking around through the wilderness with yo people. And yo people are always grumbling and complaining. And at this point, Moses has got caught up with yo people. And in Deuteronomy 1, 34 through 38, he says, And the Lord heard the sound of your words. Grumble, grumble, complain, complain. And was angry and took an oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give your fathers. Except Caleb, son of Jephthah, he shall see it. And to him and his children, I am giving the land which he walked, on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes, saying, even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him. For he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So that's Kazak. Okay. In First Samuel twenty-three, sixteen and seventeen, we have David and Jonathan talking together, and Jonathan is encouraging David, saying, Jonathan Saul's son arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. The word strengthened is our same word, kazak. The Greek word for encouraged, parakaleo. Now, I think I did that one pretty good. Because my software has a little button, you push it, and it pronounces the Greek for you. So <laughs> I'm not like pastor. I'm, and I do have the Greek letters here, so, but that's, that's still not going to do it for me. But if Logos says parakaleo, I'm with it, all right? Now, that's a compound word from the uh, root of... Para, which means to the side, and kaleo, to call, to aid, to help, comfort, encourage. It's translated to comfort, exhort, desire, call for, beseech, with a stronger force than aleo. Now, para is also known when you see that uh, root. The Holy Spirit is known as the paracletus the one who comes alongside of us. So just like an encourager is one who comes alongside of someone to strengthen them. That's where we get that from. And our example in the New Testament, we've got Barnabas and Saul at Antioch in Acts 11, 22 24. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. 
When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of art they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Okay. And then we also have an example in Acts 4, 36, which is where we always get the whole Barnabas being the son of encouragement. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostle, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Now, how do we become encouragers? If we look at Romans 12.2, it's kind of like, how do we do anything as believers? This is almost, you know, when we're in, in children's church, I always tell the kids, there are usually like at least two answers that are almost always right or will almost always work. God and Jesus. Okay, whatever I ask you, if you you say Jesus, a lot of times that will suffice and you'll be able to get the answer there. Well, in most things, if we want to know how we do something as believers, Mm -hmm. Romans 12, 2 is a good way. It's one of those answer all answers. And do not be conformed by this, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <laughs> All right. Get off of our playbook. Get on God's playbook. That's the answer to it. How do we do everything in, in God? Get off of our playbook. Get on his. Okay, got to take a deep breath. We'll see how far we get in this, because one of the things that I really love to read is Weiss word study. And Weiss word study basically breaks down the Greek word by word and gives you an idea or it really tells you what verses mean. And he has a great translation of this. And I'm going to start with it and we'll see how far we go because it is rather verbose or wordy. I like words. Okay, from 12-2, conformed is son schematio. Okay, that's the Greek word for it. And schematio refers to the act of an individual assuming an outward expression that does not come from within him, nor is it representative of his inner heart life. The The prefix preposition son adds the meaning of the verb Adds to the meaning of the verb the idea of assuming an expression that is patterned after some definite thing. The verb is present imperative. The negative which construction forbids the continuance of an action already going on. Paul exhorts saints, stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world. An expression which does not come from, nor is it representative of, what you are in your inner being as a regenerated child of God. One could translate, stop masquerading in the habiliments of this world and its mannerisms, speech, expressions, styles, and habits. Another good word, habiliments. You duds. I like that word, okay. The word world is aerion which Trench defines as follows. All that floating mass of thoughts, 
opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale, again inevitably to exhale. All this is included in the Arian, or age, which is as Benjo has expressed it, the subtle informing spirit of the cosmos or the world of men who are living alienated and apart from God. The Germans have a word for it. The word is Zeigast, or spirit of the age. This masquerade costume, which saints sometimes put on, hides the Lord Jesus Christ living in the heart of a Christian and is an opaque covering through which the Holy Spirit cannot radiate the beauty of the Lord Jesus. The world says that world says to that kind of saint, the modernism of your appearance nullifies the fundamentalism of your doctrine. Instead of masquerading in the habiliments of this age, Paul exhorts the saints to be transformed. The word is metamorphume which speaks of the act of a person changing its his outward expression from that which has which that I'm sorry from that which he has to a different one an expression which comes from and is representative of his inner being that word is used in Matthew 17:2 where it's translated transfigure the translation could read the manner of his outward expression was changed before them and his face shone as though as the sun and his clothing was white as light. The usual manner of our Lord's outward expression during his humiliation was that of the man Christ Jesus, a man of sorrows and of grief, and an itinerant preacher and teacher from Nazareth, dressed in the homespun of a Galilean peasant. But here our Lord allows the glory of the essence of his deity that came from his inner being as deity and was representative of him as such to shine through his human body. This radiance caused his face to shine and his garments to appear white as sun. Paul therefore says, in effect, to the saints, change your outward expressions from that which you had before salvation, an expression which came from your totally depraved nature and was representative of it to an expression which comes from your regenerated inner being and is representative of it. The saint is to do this by renewing his mind. Renewing is anakinosis, which Trent defines as the gradual conforming of the man more and more to the new spiritual world in which he has been introduced and in which he now lives and moves the restoration of the divine image, and in all this, so far from being passive, he must be a fellow worker with God. There defines the word, a renewal, renovation, complete change for the better. That is, the change of the outward expression is dependent upon the renovation, the complete change for the better of a believer's mental process. This is accomplished through the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who definitely and intelligently and habitually yielded to put sin out of the believer's life and produces his, its, his own fruit. He does that by controlling the mental process of the believer. It is the prescription of the apostle. 
habitually be ordering your behavior within the sphere and by the means of the spirit, and you will positively not fulfill the desire of the flesh. That is ice, which often shows result. When the saint is in dependence upon the spirit, upon the spirit, renovates his mental process, the result will be he will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove, dokimazo, to put to the test for the purpose of approving and finding the thing tested meets the specifications laid down, to put one's approval upon it as a result of the spirit's control of the mental process of the saint. The latter is enabled to put his life to put his life to the test for the purpose of approving it. The specifications being that it conforms to the word of God and thus experiencing what obedience is to the word and finding out what it feels like to have the word saturate and control the life. He sees that it really is the word of God and puts his approval upon it. Our Lord Jesus was speaking of the same thing when he said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And that's from John 7:17. 7, Perfect is teleo, teleos, brought to an end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completion. Now, the translation of this in less than 1,020 words... <laughs> And stop, putting, and stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are in your inner being, but is patterned after these, this age. But change your outward expression to one that comes from within and is representative of your inner being by the renewing of your mind, resulting in the putting to the test what is the will of God, the good and well-pleasing and complete will, and having found that it meets specifications, placing your approval upon it. <sighs> okay, I feel better now. Very wordy, but I love the way Weiss breaks it down and explains that our changing and renewing our mind is incumbent upon what the Word of God is teaching us to do and how it's teaching us to live our lives. Now, why did I spend all that time? Because renewing our mind is job one as a believer. There's no other greater job that we have is to follow our Lord and Savior and to changing our mind to his mind, to growing in looking like Christ and acting like Christ and responding as Christ would respond. Now, one of the things that happens anytime that I'm looking at doing a, a message or a teaching or anything, I'm usually impacted greatly by what I'm reading and where I am in the Bible. So I know there is a lot of other verses that I could use in places here, but most of the verses that I use are verses that I've been reading. So when I'm looking for expressions of renewing your mind, I happened to be in Psalms a couple weeks ago when I was putting this together. And... I was reading at that time Psalm 119. So now, because you know we got the A team out tonight, and you know we're all in the Word, and we know about Psalm 119. 
the longest psalm, and some people talk about it, it's a little tedious and everything else, but I love Psalm 119. So for our examples of renewing our mind, I've actually got from Psalm 119, I'm going from 89 to 112. And I didn't mean to do that. I started out there, and I said, okay, well, these five work because they're in, basically in stanzas. And then I looked at the next five, and I said, well, that works too. And then the next five, they work too. So I ended up going from one night, from 89 to 112. So for our examples of renewing our mind, forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth, and it abides. They have... <clears throat> They continue this day according to your obedience. For you are, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for, for, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought you. I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandments is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for you are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself ta have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid the snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are a rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Over and over and over again, your word, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Your word is what I meditate on day and night. That's why I love it so much because to me it gives you those examples of what renewing your mind to the word of God does. When we talk about encouragement, Psalms, great form of encouragement. Over and over in the Psalms, we hear encouraging. We hear encouragement. So now we want to talk about worldly encouragers versus godly encouragers. Worldly encouragement blows up people and things. Godly encouragement blows up God. All right, a little bit of slang maybe. <laughs> okay, but what happens is when we encourage as the world encouraged, we said, you know, it's all right. You know, whatever you want to do, it, it's good. 
you know, you're smart, you're talented, all that's going to, it's, it'll get you there. You know, that's worldly encouragement. It, it depends upon a very person-centered aspect. Okay, but godly encouragement, it basically puts God in his proper place. It puts God where he belongs. And from Philippians 4, 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When you have encouragement like that, what, what are we worried about? My God is going to supply all. How many of our needs? All our needs. Not some, not a couple. You know, not whatever is left over. He's going to supply all my needs. Okay, today worldly encouragement means just going along what people want and what people feel. You know, if someone is lost, and you know the right way. Oh, here we go. Would you just tell them what they want to hear? You know, some people want to hear that from you. Well, you know, I was headed this way. I, I, how do I get here? I'm headed this way. And, well, one of the things I've told people, okay, if you want to get there going the way you are, all you have to do is go around the world one time, and you'll come back up on it. Okay, but you... Sometimes you have to tell people what they don't want to hear, okay? And sometimes you, that's what encouragement is about, okay? Encouragement does not mean you're always telling someone what they want to hear. Now, I got an example of that. And I'm looking at my wife. She had the opportunity to encourage me yesterday. Excuse me? Okay. Well, and you don't always want to hear encouragement? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So I'm riding around, and Vanessa called on the phone, and, you know, she's asking what I'm doing, and, you know, am I getting ready for tomorrow and everything else. And she says, well, are you going to shave and cut your hair? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. I wasn't necessarily planning on it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. But her encouragement came by, well, you look a mess. Yeah, there you go. Encouragement, right? All right. It wasn't feeling like encouragement right about then, but but it was encouragement, okay? All right, I, I had to stop. I had to pray about it. I said, Lord, help me. I said, but baby, you know, you love me. I'm supposed to look good to you no matter what, right? Okay, so... Encouragement means we don't always tell people what they want to hear. (laughs) 
Okay, last time we talked about being kidnapped by crazy. Now it's the idea of getting directions from crazy. You can't get directions from crazy either, okay? You have to be rooted and grounded. And you can't just go by whatever anybody says. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. I know. Yeah, she loved me, though. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let each one watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are, the, who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet of hope and as a, as, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Now, our word here in the last verse Therefore, comfort, that's our Greek word for encourage. Okay, so now we're talking about how we become encouragers. One of the ways we become encouragers is through practice. In Pastor Sunday's sermons, he's been talking about training days. And training. So this falls right in line with that. The process of becoming encouragers basically has to do with doing something over and over again. In physical, in physical disciplines, we need to develop what they call muscle memory. You develop muscle memory by making that same move over and over again whether it's your form when you're running, a shot you use if you're playing basketball, how you swing a bat, you do it over and over again the right way and you develop muscle memory. Well, it's like that in spiritual discipleship. We develop spiritual memory by doing things God's way over and over. A synonym for the word encourage in the Bible is strengthen. In physical training, muscles cannot be strengthened without resistance. We cannot encourage or strengthen, we cannot encourage or strengthen without the resistance of God's word coming against our worldly nature. So we need something to, that resists us because without the resistance, you don't build that muscle. Now, once we become encouragers, one of the things we need to figure out is how do we stay encouraged? Because Generally, we've been encouragers at some point in our lives, but have you ever felt kind of beat down 
Like, I just can't say one more good thing to one more person because I just can't do it. Or this general, this person in general. So one of the ways that we are to stay encouragers is that we have to be encouraged ourselves. As a body of Christ, we're called to come alongside and we're called to be a community. So we all have to practice encouraging one another. Speaking words of strength to one another. And as we do that, we become encouragers. We stay encouraged. As the body of Christ, we're all called to encourage one another. Then we have David's route to encouragement. From 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Now we're talking about what happened in Ziklag. I'm sorry, some little bit of basic stuff. When they are wandering around, the marauders come, they take, they do Ziklag, they take all this stuff, they take the wives, they take the children and everything else. So now they come back to Ziklag and as they get there, the place is burning and everything else. And now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Right? And that's our same word from the Old Testament. Kazakh. Translated strengthened. Okay. So sometimes we got to encourage ourselves. Okay, I had a little issue with finding this verse. Because sometimes I remember things in King James. And in New King James, it's strengthened. In King James, it's actually encouraged himself. In Amplified, it actually says strengthened and encouraged himself. Okay. There you go. Extra reading, not a bad thing. Okay, for our application of this whole thing, let's just wind this baby on down. An encourager knows that true encouragement comes from God. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. <laughs> See, it's good having a wife. You have these little things you go back and forth. We were just having this conversation about Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hill from whence cometh my help. Okay, that's why we're, she's laughing. Clearly, my help does not come from the hills. It does not come. But I, I keep hearing people say, my help's coming from the hills. Okay. My help does not come from the hill. Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord. Okay. Who made heaven and earth. Thank you, Jesus. All right. We have to know where our encouragement comes from. Our encouragement comes from God comes from the word of the Lord. It comes from what he would have us to do for other people. An encourager will be in tune with God's will for encouragement. Now for this, I, I used Luke 1, 39 to 45. And in this, this is a picture or an account of Elizabeth and Mary. 
And Mary comes when she finds she's with child. She comes to visit Elizabeth. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting, greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth had to be in tune with God's encouragement. As soon as she showed up, she knew what was going on. We have to be in tune with God's will for our encouraging of others. There may be times when we're just walking along and someone's sitting there and they look perfectly fine. But if we're in tune with God's will for encouragement, we'll be able to go over and speak a word that that person may need. And in all outward appearances, you would have never thought that would was needed. We have to stay in tune. Now, one of the things we also need to do is have, in our encouragement, a heart for the lost versus our heart for the saved. As encouragers, we need to know who we are encouraging. We're to encourage the lost to be saved. And we're to encourage the saved towards spiritual growth. And the one thing that I really wanted to kind of touch on, and this would be kind of the last thing, is that as encouragers and as godly encouragers, you know, sometimes maybe people get depressed. But the thing about a godly encourager is this, is that as a godly encourager, you don't get depressed about situations. They get grieved by lack of faith. Mm. See, because as a godly encourager, you know what God has for people. The thing that really grieves you is when you know what God has for them and they don't have the faith to obtain it or to reach it. You know, you look at the examples of the prophets, how they came to God's people and they knew what God's will was. And they would tell them, you know, God wants this, but their faith wasn't where it should be to do it. And I look at Jeremiah, and I love reading Jeremiah. It's kind of a, you know, some people might even say a depressing book. But I love Jeremiah's heart. He's known as the weeping prophet. But it was because Jeremiah knew what God's will was, but he saw a problem of the faith of the people. God wanted them, even though they were still your people. They had gone astray. God was about to wrap things up, but there was still time for repentance but they didn't have the faith enough to trust in the Lord 
So as encouragers, I would encourage you, don't get, don't get depressed. Understand that we do what we do because we are empowered by God and called by God to be encouragers, to continue to press forward as a body continue to encourage one another so we can continue to do what God is calling us to do. Father, we just thank you and give you all the glory and the praise today that we would be the encouragers that you have designed us to be, that we would understand all that you have for us as we come alongside of your people to direct them to you and to direct them to spiritual growth. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.